I hope you had a wonderful Christmas for some of you I've talked to. Uh, you still have some Christmas to do uh, with some gatherings, and so Christmas kind of lingers these days, and uh, Lord, um, we believe we may even still have one Christmas, not sure, that may come about here in the next day or two with some cousins that came into town, um, but it was a, a sweet season, I pray and trust it was uh, for you, and uh, as we continue and actually end our series from Advent this morning, if you remember where we begin uh, this season, we have seen uh, through God's word that God desires to be with you and I. He desires to be with us, and we've seen that from the beginning through the book of Genesis. We've also seen as we've walked through this series, uh, God with the Israelites taking them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, um, and we've also seen him with David and bringing down Goliath. We've also seen him with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego literally in the midst of the fiery furnace. And we've seen where all this has led to as we celebrated um, the Christmas season together, uh, both the Sunday uh, before Christmas and on Christmas Eve, as we saw that all of this pointed to and led to uh, God being with mankind in the flesh, him dwelling among men here on earth, and his son, Jesus Christ. And with Jesus' coming, we see that God's desire is not only to dwell with us, but in us as well. That, that his presence and spirit would dwell within us. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. And so today we look at the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, not just with us, but in us. And so today I want us to look at the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a story of a teacher by the name of Miss Thompson, and she had the task of teaching the children in her class one Sunday morning about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to help keep their attention, she took one of those big pretzels. Uh, you know, one of those pretzels you get at the mall. Uh, they're all buttery and salty, all right? Uh, she took one of those, and she taught her kids about the Trinity. And one hole, she said, I want you to think of God the Father. And the other hole of the pretzel, I want you to see, think of God the Son. And the other, God the Holy Spirit. And so... She decided to kind of cement this in their head that they would then repeat back to her what she just taught. And so she saw little Johnny in the front. Why in these illustrations is it always little Johnny? I don't know. And so she saw Johnny in the front, and she said, hey, Johnny, why don't you repeat to me what I just taught you about the Trinity? And so he said, okay. So he got up, and he said, well, Miss Thompson, that's the father God the Father, and this is God the Son, and that right there is holy smoke. She said, Johnny, I, I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> it's not holy smoke. Um, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, as Francis Chan wrote in his book, literally called Forgotten God, um, sometimes we ne neglect or, or forget about the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, yeah, we, we know he's there, but, but what does he do? And, and really, who or what is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? And scripture gives us some pretty clear answers on that, especially Jesus when he was here on earth. And so this morning what I would like to do is talk to you and with the idea of God being with us and not just in a, with us, but in us. And, and what does that mean? And so who is the Holy Spirit, number one? And how has he come? What has his coming look like to this uh, 
earth literally dwelling in man, and what does his dwelling with man look like? And then thirdly, what is his ministry? What, what is his ministry here on earth as well? And so the Holy Spirit, to do that, I want us to look at the text that Josh read for us this morning in John chapter 14. Uh, verse 15 is where I would like to begin. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in what's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's his 12 disciples with him whom he loved greatly. And here he's in the upper room, and he has washed their feet. He has spoke of his soon betrayal, his soon arrest that would come even that night, his suffering that would follow, and his departure. And he says this to them in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now I begin here as we talk about the Holy Spirit because that's the context really of what Jesus is talking about in the upper room discourse. Is his love toward the disciples and likewise their love for him. And so how is our love for God demonstrated? How is it seen? It is seen in us obeying his commands. And so Jesus is going to speak soon about the Holy Spirit, but before he does, he wants them to understand this is the context of of love. He wants them to be motivated by love for him. And so this love will result in obedience, but it also will result in experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the love of God. And then he says this, he says, I will ask the Father, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him, but you know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. And so look at verse 16, if you would. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you this. What will he give them? He says right here, another, another. That word another literally is another of the same kind. No doubt Jesus speaking of this one's relationship with the Father and the Son. Um, We know in Scripture as we walk through the Word of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that that God is taught as being one. He's told, uh, he tells the Israelites through Moses in Deuteronomy 6 that our Lord, our God is one. And so we see that taught and we see uh, the Father taught uh, throughout the Old Testament. Then we see the Son spoken about often uh, and, and, and prophesied about in the Old Testament and then revealed in the New Testament. Now we have the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And so he is another, literally meaning and speaking of his relationship with the Father and the Son. And he is one with them. And so who is this one? He is the helper. He's the counselor or the advocate, depending on what translation you have. And so Jesus is going to ask for another helper. And so you see it capitalized there in the text. Obviously, it's speaking of God. And so what is this word Helper, it's parakletos, which means to call alongside, to encourage, to strengthen. And so Jesus is speaking here of the Holy Spirit. He is the helper. He is the great counselor. He is the advocate. And so who is the Holy Spirit? He is not an it. He is a person, right? He is not some impersonal force. He is God. He's not a creation of God. He's not an angel, 
okay? So he's not a created being. The Holy Spirit is God himself, and he possesses all the attributes of the divine, of deity, and so he is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, up to this point, has, has not been quiet, right? He hasn't been inactive as Jesus is speaking about his coming, but how have we seen the Holy Spirit revealed throughout Scripture? We, we see all the way back in creation, from the b- beginning of God's revelation to us in Genesis chapter one, that it speaks of him, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving, was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so we see the Spirit of God, the divine motion, the spring of life, the bringing life to dead places. That's what the Spirit of God was doing in the work of creation, like an eagle who flutters over her young to bring warmth, to cherish them. So the Spirit of God was doing that in the beginning of creation. In fact, Elihu, when he is speaking with, with Job in Job 33, 4, says the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And so the Holy Spirit is evolved in creation, just as the Son and the Father are as well. And so what do we else do we see about the Holy Spirit? Really, if you go through the Old Testament, we see different revelations and working of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we find that he gives new birth, even in the Old Testament. He gives uh, this indwelling presence. In the book of Numbers, we see that. He's a constant presence. In the book of Psalms, especially in 139, as the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Uh, He is counselor. He is teacher in the book of Nehemiah. He gives the gift of craftsmen and artistic ability in the book of Exodus. We see that he gives power to denounce evil and to declare righteousness in the book of Micah and even through the likes of John the Baptist that we find in the book of Luke. He gives victory over fears. The prophet Haggai speaks of that and also Zechariah. He gives extraordinary power, extraordinary power to help God's people in the book of Judges. He gives ability to interpret God's revelation in dreams, and we see that revealed in Acts 2 as Peter is talking about uh, the prophets of old. Uh, We see that uh, in the book of Numbers that he gives the gift of prophecy as well to declare and to speak truth. We also see that the Holy Spirit has authored scripture, that he has inspired men of old to write and pen literally the word, the breath of God, as First Peter tells us. He is the power source for the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary, as we've just seen in latter days, as we've looked uh, at the great coming of Jesus. The, tells us in Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And lastly, we see that the Holy Spirit is the source, the power source for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, in Romans 8, it tells us, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so this is the Holy Spirit, the helper. He's not been quiet. He's not been inactive. He is the everlasting God. And he has been at work through the ages. So Jesus says here, though, that he is going to come. And when he comes, 
This is how he is going to come. He's going to come and be an ever-present spirit among you forever, forever. He says forever. Look at verse 16, that he may be with you forever, personally. Uh, Jesus is speaking of this abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit in which the Holy Spirit will be with the disciples. Those who believe in Jesus, we'll look at in just a little bit, continually, forever. Now this is big. Why is that? Because Jesus is talking about his departure. He's about to leave the disciples. I mean, think about this. These guys who've given up their livelihood, their, their work, and all to follow him for some three years or more, and now he is going to leave them. And so Jesus wants to reassure them that the presence of God through the Holy Spirit is going to be with them continually forever. And then he tells them in verse 17, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him, but you know him as he's talking to the disciples because he abides with you and will be in you. And so as the Holy Spirit is referred to here as the spirit of truth, he is the one who bears witness to. He's the one who communicates the literal truth of God to the world, to his disciples. He guides believers into the will and the work of God. The world knows nothing of him, Jesus says, but the disciples do. Why do the disciples know about him? Because they have seen Jesus. (laughs) They've seen Jesus who's empowered by the Spirit of God. They've experienced the presence of the Spirit to help them in preaching as they go out. They've experienced the presence of God as they are able to do miracles that God does through them because the Holy Spirit abided with them. But Jesus says, soon he will be in you. He'll be in you. His presence will be in you. And before we hear more about that and what that means where do we see this fulfilled, right? Many of us are familiar with this, the promise that Jesus makes here to his disciples that the Father will provide the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, um, this is when this will be fulfilled. Soon after Jesus' death, many things will happen. He will raise again. He will come and dwell here on earth for uh, 40 days in his resurrected body. He will then ascend to heaven. And soon after that, Pentecost will come. Pentecost was a Jewish festival. It was literally 50 days after the Passover. And Jesus was crucified during the Passover celebration. And so seven weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, the risen Lord, Jesus, fulfills this promise that he had made. In fact, uh, here in John 14, 6, this will come about, the sending of the Holy Spirit uh, here on the day of Pentecost. In fact, John the Baptist said this about the one who comes after me, that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is what Jesus came to do. And so we, we see now the coming of the Holy Spirit. At 9 a.m., all right, of the morning of Pentecost, while the disciples were praying in Acts chapter 2, Uh, We find this in verse 2, a sound came from heaven like a rush of mighty wind. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributed, resting on each one of them. And they were were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in their tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we find in that great chapter in Acts chapter 2 that Peter began to preach a sermon And he says this, that this 
what has happened this day with the coming of the Holy Spirit and now filling and indwelling these who are disciples and followers of him on this day. This was spoken about by the prophet Joel. And in the last days, Joel said, it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, they shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In other words, Peter says, we have entered the last days. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes, the Messiah has come. He has accomplished redemption on the cross. He has risen. He has ascended to the right hand of God. And the interval before he returns in glory will be marked. And how will it be marked? It will be marked by the incomparable outpouring of the Holy Spirit on men and women, young and old, slave and free, near and far. So on this day, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples experience not just the Holy Spirit around them, or with them, but now indwelling in them as a presence, a permanent presence forever. And so look again at Romans 8, 11. It'll be up on the screen. Listen to what Paul said about the Spirit of God now dwelling in men. He says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And so those who believe, as Romans 10.9 tells us, those who declare with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they shall be saved, are those who have now the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now living and residing and indwelling in them. As Jesus says, forever, forever. And so as we speak about the Holy Spirit, what is his role? What does he do? Now there's a lot that is said throughout Scripture about that. But here Jesus tells us in the book of John what his ministry is. And I just want to give you kind of the the three-part or the three-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit as we look at this. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 18, before he departs, listen to what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, why does he tell this to the disciples? He tells them, I, I won't leave you alone. I, I won't leave you to do this on your own. I'm not just going to drop you, right? But he says, instead, I will come to you. Now, there's two things he's talking about here, I believe. First, I believe he's talking about after his death, he will raise again. So he is going to come and be with them. He's going to dwell with them in his resurrected body here on earth, and we see that. But I think it's also referring to the fact, possibly as well, that the Holy Spirit's presence will be with them. And so this is to assure them, um, even after his resurrection, but even after his ascension, right? And so his presence will be with them through the Holy Spirit. Now, jump if you would, should be maybe the same page or maybe the next page on John 16. Listen to what he says. Here the disciples are grieving with the thought and the idea that Jesus is leaving, right? And listen to what Jesus says in verse five. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Jesus is gonna go to the Father. The Father sent him. He is going to now go back and he's, talk, he's gonna talk about this in John 17 as he prays to the Father. Uh, he's gonna be glorified with the Father. Uh, and so 
He says, but none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. These disciples are overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. The one that they have followed is now departing, is, is leaving them, and he's speaking of that, and they're filled with sadness. They have been distracted by this sadness, so much so that they haven't even asked Jesus, specifically here in this time, where are you going as you depart? But look what he says in verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He encourages the disciples. He says, I, I must go. I must go. I, he's got to. He, he's going to go through the experience of the cross. He is going to die and he is going to suffer. And he is going to bear the weight of sin upon himself. He's going to become sin on behalf of us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is going to do that. He is going to raise again on the third day. He's going to overcome death for us so that we who believe and trust in him can also overcome death. Not only that, but that we will receive the Spirit, not just around us, not just with us, but in us. And that's what his going means for his disciples, both here and even for today. And so it is your advantage. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus says that here, that it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit than for me right here with you. Wow. Wow. And he's telling his disciples that. It is to your good that I go. That I go. And why is that? Well, look what he says. He gives them just three things here. And I want us to read this as we um, wrap up this morning. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, And he, when he comes, speaking about the helper, the Holy Spirit, here's what he will do. He will convict the world concerning sin. He will convict the world concerning righteousness. He will convict the world concerning judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And so the first thing I want you to see here is the Holy Spirit is coming into the world, and we'll see this in in Acts chapter 2, to convict, to bring conviction. There's going to be a heightened conviction for the world. Concerning what? Sin, righteousness, judgment. Now, what is conviction? When we speak of the word conviction, what does it mean? It means showing someone, real simply, their sin, right? But here, it's with the idea of not just showing someone their sin, but it's also with the view of securing repentance, meaning this, that they would change, right? That they would be convicted over their sin, that what they've done wrong, that their condition, right? And they would realize that with the goal that they would change, that they would turn away from that sin and choose what is good and what choose what is right. And so the Holy Spirit comes to bring this heightened conviction upon the world. And so the first thing we see is he convicts concerning sin. And so what does that mean? He, it means that he is going to come and bring guilt He is going to bring guilt upon the unbelieving people of the world, right? Those who do not believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit, his work in the world is to bring conviction, to bring guilt 
over sin. You think about it. Part of your story of coming to Christ. I know it's part of my story of coming to Christ. I, I remember vividly just the conviction I had over my sin. And that's why the Holy Spirit does. He brings that work of conviction concerning sin. Not only that, look at verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And so what's the idea here? This idea of righteousness is speaking of of right conduct, um, but ultimately right standing before God. And so he brings conviction about our standing before the Lord. And not only that, he also brings conviction about the righteousness that one may profess to have, but ultimately falls short of what God requires. Um, some will attempt to be good or to do good works or to have this righteousness on their own. The Bible calls that in Isaiah 64, verse 6, literally filthy garments or filthy rags, these, this righteous deeds that you attempt to do on your own. And so God has a requirement for you and I. It, it is a right standing with him. It, it is righteousness, but we all fall short of that. And so the world at times will seek to have this righteousness on their own, but what the Holy Spirit comes to do is to convict them of that to show them that they cannot stand on their own before a holy God with any kind of righteous deeds, that they have to follow God's way. And his way is through his son Jesus. That is the only way that we can be made right before a holy God, is what God has provided through his son Jesus Christ. Jesus has come and died the death that you and I deserve. And nobody's righteous deeds can take away sin or bring forgiveness to sin. Only Jesus can. And that's what he did through his death, through his resurrection to overcome the grave. We can't do that on our own. And so the Holy Spirit has come to provide conviction of that, to show the world that we need Christ to give us the righteousness of God and to lead us to faith so that we can stand right before God. And then he says, not only that, that he will bring conviction concerning judgment in verse 11 because the ruler of this world has been judged. Judgment will come upon those who do not follow and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the Bible tells us in John 12 that the enemy has been judged. In Colossians 2, 15, it tells us that not only has the enemy been judged by God, but he's also been condemned as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. And so the same thing belongs to those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. They are condemned. They're condemned. And so when a lost sinner is truly under conviction, he will see the folly. He will see the evil of his unbelief. And what will he do? He will confess that he does not measure up to the righteousness of Christ. And he will realize that he is under condemnation because he belongs to the world and to the enemy himself. And there can be no conversion. We see right here in the scripture without conviction. And there can be no conviction apart from the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And what does he use? The Holy Spirit uses the word of God and the witness 
even of the church, of the children of God, the disciples, to bring the truth to the world, and upon that the Holy Spirit convicts concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. And when I think of those three things, I mean, isn't that what happens when we come to know Christ? Convicted over sin, we feel the guilt on us. We're convicted over righteousness, knowing that I'm not right with God, and I cannot do anything to stand right before him. And then that judgment comes, and we realize, man, I deserve death. That's what the wages of sin is. It is death. We all deserve it. I'll never forget it as a young kid realizing that. And that, and that, was, that is what weighed on me. And I remember it weighing on me for months and months. And I remember going into my mom and dad's room at night. And I would go to my mom's side and I would wake her up. And her and I would spend time literally like two, three in the morning. And we would go, and, and I don't know why we did this, I guess because it was the quietest place in the house, would go sit on the bathroom floor. And we'd shut the door. And I would just let her know, man, I am weighed down with just the judgment of God. And I didn't put it that way, right? But I'd let her know, man, I am fearful. I'm scared of hell. And I was. And I remember just that conviction of knowing that my sin met eternal death for me. And God eventually stirred my heart. And I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. But it was because of conviction. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in the world. That's the work that he is doing even now. That's what he's at work doing. And we need a great outpouring of that in our world. We need it. And that's what we've got to pray for. And that's what the Holy Spirit longs to do. And then I want us to look at these two quick things here in verse 12. He says, I have many more things to say to you. This is Jesus. But you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And so real simply, I want you to see right here, the second thing is he has come to enlighten his disciples. That's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. Jesus never acted on his own initiative, he says here, but only in obedience to the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is going to do the same thing. And as he reveals the truth of God, he is going to obey what the Father is simply telling him to communicate, the will of God, which includes the understanding of Jesus' death, right, for the disciples, for us, the understanding of Jesus' resurrection, that's what we would maybe call the gospel as we think of that, Uh, the fullness of what all that means. And what is he going to disclose continually to them in the future, Um, and especially to the church today, is the New Testament, right? is the understanding of how God works even through his church and the witness of his children to the world. And so the Holy Spirit worked and works in the minds of disciples to bring about what? Perception, understanding, and to help the disciples to teach about Jesus Christ, to communicate that to a fallen world. And so as the disciples grow in the truth and the word of God, he brings about understanding. But what's the goal of that understanding? Is it simply just knowledge Right? It's not to puff us up. No, that's not the goal. The goal is obedience. 
The goal is obedience in his disciples. The scripture talks about this. Paul does. He talks about walking by the Spirit in Galatians 5. He talks about being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5. And the feeling of the Holy Spirit, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, the feeling of the Holy Spirit and obedience, they go together. And I would put it like this. Believers are baptized. They're united with the Holy Spirit when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the feeling of the Holy Spirit is continual. It is ongoing. It's not like this. We, we don't get more or less of the Spirit, right? We don't have like different degrees of the Spirit. We have all of him, all of us who believe in him. But the feeling of the Holy Spirit speaks of obedience. Listen to what Paul said. He says, therefore, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, he says, For that is dissipation, it's empty, it's wasteful living. But be filled with the Spirit of God. You see, God wants us to spend our days walking according to the will of God, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Think of his illustration there. That we'd be filled by the Holy Spirit. Much like the effects of alcohol, he speaks of wine here, has on one It causes one to be drunk. It it takes over. It controls them. And what he's saying here is that's the control God wants to have in our life. He wants us to surrender. He wants us to submit to the Holy Spirit's control and leading in our life. And that happens when we obey. That happens when we obey. And so we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the goal of of, of the Holy Spirit with his disciples is to enlighten them. To, to, to declare, to bear the truth of God's word and as we as his disciples are in the word of God that we would surrender our lives, submit our lives to the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit as we obey. And then lastly, I want us to see this. The goal of the Holy Spirit, his purpose is as Jesus says in verse 14 of chapter 16 of John, he says, he will glorify me, talking about the Spirit of God, For he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine and therefore I said that he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. And again we see the oneness. We see the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? It's to glorify Jesus. It's to expound to the world, to his disciples. It's to present to the world, to the disciples, is to explain and to promote to the disciples and to this world Jesus Christ as our only hope, as the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. That is the goal. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You think about it, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to live for the glory of God. That's why you and I were created. We were created with the purpose of declaring to the world who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the helper, has come to empower us to do that. 
Today, maybe you're here. Maybe you hear the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and how he brings conviction, conviction concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You may be here today and you're like, you know what, I've, I've, I've felt that before, but I never knew what that really meant or what to do. I want you to know that when it comes to sin, when it comes to righteousness and judgment, there's nothing within you on your own that you can do to overcome that. There's no good deeds. There's, there's nothing you can do to overcome that. But God convicts through his spirit so that we would recognize our need for Jesus. And that we would turn from our sin, that we would turn any, any attempts of righteousness our own, that we would turn from the reality of the judgment that is on us, that we would turn to Jesus to be the answer for those things. For the forgiveness of sin, that we would have a right relationship with God and that we, instead of condemned to judgment, that we instead would have the free gift of eternal life. So today the Bible says to believe, to trust, to follow Jesus as Lord of your life to surrender, to surrender. So here today, as the Holy Spirit, if he's bringing that conviction upon you, I pray that you would respond by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. For the church today, those who have, just as the disciples got to experience on Acts chapter two, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know as a church, God has called you and I with a great purpose. As we look toward the new year for the coming of 2019, our purpose continues on to make disciples of all nations, of all people. And, and with that call, God is calling us to literally raise dead people. <laughs> people that are dead in their sin. He, he's called us to raise dead people. And that is a work, as we've seen this morning, that only the Holy Spirit of God can do. And God wants to empower us by his Spirit to do that. On our own, we are weak and ineffective in our witness. And so we need the Holy Spirit. As we walk and as we feel by the Holy Spirit, as we obey him, he empowers us. There will be an outpouring. And what I love about when I think about that is that's what God has come to do. He's come to take people who once were dead, now alive. And by his spirit, through his church, the people of God, he now comes to declare to the world, right, that there is hope, that there is hope. And that was the great picture. That was the great experience in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And God wants that to continue. He wants the beat to keep going on as his people keep trusting him and walking with him and being obedient. So I pray in 2019 that we see the work of the Spirit of God in our lives and that we see people's lives changed because that's what the Holy Spirit came to do. Let me pray for us.